Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. This is Pastor George here at Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. Today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Very interesting place to be. The Apostle Paul really starts getting serious with the church in Corinth. Um, and I have a feeling people are going to get upset. So what I might say to you is, if anything about this message today concerns you or upsets you, well, certainly don't get mad at me. I'm just reading the living word of God. But could it be that the Holy Spirit is convincing you or convicting you to make some changes in your life? That's what the living word of God does, is it convinces us that we need to make a change. Change to be more like him, to get us ready for that great day to come when we all are going to be in heaven together. It is real, and we need to plan for it. God bless you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Um, I really do enjoy bringing you the living word of God. Come out and see us sometime here at Tuolumne Community Baptist in Tuolumne, California. God bless. See you soon. Okay, we have been in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're now at chapter 4. And for those who are visiting with us, I'll, I'll recap a little bit. This is the church that the Apostle Paul had planted in Corinth. It's been a few years now since he's been there. And the problems have been rapidly developing in this new church. Like any church, they, they rapidly develop. And, and look at where they're at. In the introduction, I shared with you what kind of place this place was in Corinth. You know, it was a port city, a two-port city, a port on either side. A lot of trade, a lot of commerce going on in this city. It was like the, the lifeblood for the Greek Empire. And there was all sorts of foreigners that were coming in. And then you had, you know, the Temple of Aphrodite, uh, which was the goddess of love. Um, with a thousand, what did he call them? Um, what did he call them? Somebody remind me. What did he call them? It was priestesses. That's what it was, priestesses. They were prostitutes. But they would come down into the city at night and they would entertain all the people that were coming and going. And, and the Apostle Paul planted a church right in the middle of all this. Praise God for the Apostle Paul. I would have took one look at it and said, I'm out of here. This is no place. But Paul said, no, this is the place we need to be. And he planted this church. Well, a few years later, the Apostle Paul received a letter from the family of Chloe. We don't have any other information of who this Chloe was, whether it was a man or a woman. So I say from the family of Chloe. The letter laid out the problems that Paul and Paul was addressing these problems. Chapters 1 and 2, he starts out very slow. And I believe that he was trying not to offend these people right out the gate. He told them how much he loved them and how much he wanted to be with them. And he took a very cautious, easy time in chapters 1 and 2. And chapter 3, he started to get a little more tense. And you guys remember that last week. He didn't want to start out with such aggression that he would just totally blow them out. He wanted them to hear him. So he first addresses the disunity that they had been experiencing. Let me say this clearly, disunity is a church killer. It absolutely is a church killer. 
Some would say, I follow the Apostle Paul. And others would say, no, I follow Apollos. And some would say, oh, we follow Capius, which was Peter. Now, I don't know how Peter got pulled into this thing. I don't even know that he was ever even there. But people knew of him, and he was the rock. That's what Capius means. And then Peter was, uh, we, we follow Peter. And then you had the really holy ones, you know, the non-denominational ones that would say, we follow Jesus and Jesus alone. Well, that sounds really holy. It sounds really good. Except they were making themselves better than everybody else. They were kind of putting everybody else down for their stand. And the Apostle Paul, he was addressing this this disunity that he wanted the churches, the church to be unified as well as the churches to be unified. And I feel like in our community that this is really starting to happen. I have a lot of really good friends of other churches and we're becoming in unity. We fellowship, we play together, we eat together, we come together. And we need unity amongst our churches. It doesn't matter that they may do things a little bit differently than we do. You're going to see about the time we hit to five and six, what the only thing is that we need to be worried about. And I'll just go ahead and spit it out. It's the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're preaching that, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Because that's all that really matters. Doesn't matter if your church is waving flags or your church is dancing around. It doesn't matter. What matters is the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you don't like all the way flag waving, then come on over here. Or go somewhere else. It doesn't matter. There needs to be unity in our churches and what we believe. The fact is, Jesus himself was very aggressive in preaching unity. I want you to look at this scripture, Matthew 12, 25. And just for you, for my guests, all the scriptures are up, but I love it when I see people turning in their Bibles. That's why it makes it easier when we're in a study, because we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. But I did throw a few other scriptures in here for you to see. Matthew 12, 25 says, But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom, kingdom divided against itself is brought to dissolution. And every city or every house against itself will not stand. This includes every church. I'm sorry, it includes every house, every church. If my wife and I did not have a unity stand, we would not make it. Every house has to be unified, coming together, believing, going the same direction. Pastor, it seems like you're pushing really hard on this unity thing. Yes, I am. And we are unified. And I got to say, I'm very proud of all of you for that. But the church, our church, it will grow. And when new believers, new people, new Christians come to our church, are we ready? Or what if they sit in your seat? (laughs) Just think about it, just a thought. What if they look a little different than you? What if they dress different? What if they have a different skin color? What if they don't shower at all? It could be a little distracting. When new people come in, all kinds of problems do too. Well, pastor, I like it the way it is right now. Me too. But if we concern ourselves that this is it, Tony, you just sing to us because we love you and we love your singing, but let's leave everybody else out. I think we may be missing the kingdom of God. It's not about us. 
Remember? It's about them out there. It's about the world that needs Jesus Christ. And if we, yes, I am happy. I have such a beautiful group of people here. They love me. I love them. We're in unity. We're going the same direction. Nobody even argues with me. Praise God. But if that's how we concerned ourselves with, then we become nothing more than a country club. And you tithe your pay, and that just keeps the doors open. And the Lord will bless that country club because this is what you get. You better enjoy it now. Because this is it. We need to be ready. He talks about a lot of different things in chapters 2 and 3. In chapter 4, he's still talking about immaturity. He talked about the natural man. Remember that? The natural man is the man without Jesus Christ. He's the natural man. He thinks all that we do, what we do, is just nothing but foolishness. It's just foolishness. That's the natural man. And then you have the unnatural man. He is the one who has accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, but he has never grown. He's never grown in his or her faith. The Apostle Paul called him carnal or worldly. Oh yes, they were saved. But everyone will give an account of our lives of after we've been saved. Remember when we read in 1 Corinthians 3.13, it says, Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Verse 14 says, If anyone's work which he has built on, it endures he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. I had made a mention last week, I don't want to make it to heaven smelling like smoke. I don't. Fire hurts. We all will stand before God and give an account. This is called the judgment seat, the Bema seat before God. We will not be judged for our sins. Praise God for that. You should be excited. They were paid for, finished in the precious work that Jesus Christ completed on the cross. But we will be judged for our lives, the lives we have lived after we received such a great of salvation. The Bible says, for every word we speak, we will give an account. And I believe the carnal man or the worldly man is the man who builds with hay and straw or builds on the sand like a child would do. That's who he is. He's like a child would do, working hard but building with straw. Then Paul addresses this supernatural man. This is the one who hears God's words and keeps them. He learns and grows and knows he has to build with precious stones and bricks, things that will not burn on that day. Okay, I know what you're thinking. Okay, pastor, I'm still not sure. What am I building worth? What, what, what am I building with? Well, how about this? Try your words. Your words. Matthew 12, 36 and 37 says this. But I say to you that for every idle word man may speak, he will give account of it on the day of judgment. That's the, the other day that we were just talking about there. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. 
I'm telling you, if that doesn't freak you out, it ought to. It ought to. It ought to at least challenge you. Get us to think, am I a carnal Christian? This is the one who can't understand the things that I'm saying right now. What I'm giving you today is not milk or pablum. It's not baby food. This is the meat of the gospel. Let me give you a little disclaimer. If you don't look like what I'm saying today, because this message is going to get heavy. I didn't write it. The Apostle Paul did. You can email him. Give him a text message and tell him you didn't care for that message quite so much today because he wrote it. And as far as my commentary goes, you can throw that out the window. I'm giving you what I think, but what I think means nothing. It's what the living word of God is telling us. Amen. Amen. That living word of God is to convict us or a nicer way to put it to convince you. That you need to hear and consider. And when you begin to hear things and consider things, that's where God makes changes in your life. I know I speak from experience. I would hear things and I would consider them. I remember sitting in church saying, Pastor, I don't like that at all. Mm -mm, I don't like it. That's okay. That's okay because that was the Holy Spirit inside of me that was convincing me that I was wrong. That I need to change my life. Are you all ready for 1 Corinthians chapter 4? All right, verse one. The Apostle Paul said, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. He's referring to these people that were putting, uh, you know, people on a pedestal. I follow the Apostle Paul. I follow Apollos. And I get it. The Apostle Paul was hard nosed. You know, he came out of this thing as a Pharisee and, and. You know, he knew the Old Testament. He, he memorized it. He, he knows and he, he was hard. And the Apollo, Apollos, he came into the picture. He was well-educated and, and more gentle. And then you had the blue-collar worker, Capius. That was Peter. They liked him because he talked like a normal man would talk. You know, and I could understand him. So I'm of, I'm of him. And then others would say, no, no, I'm of Jesus Christ and him alone. That caused division and caused disunity. Verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Well, let me ask you this. This is rhetorical. Rhetorical. Are you faithful? Are you a steward of the gospel? Just something to think about. This is one of the first lessons we learn as Christians is faithfulness. Faithful to pray. Faithful to read God's word. Faithful to come together We need each other. Good stewards do these things and are called faithful. Look at verse 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I do not judge myself. What in the world do you think the Apostle Paul meant by that? Let me try to explain it. This is the same attitude that Christians should adopt, especially when we're confronted with opposition, with ridicule, with exclusion or persecution for the result of our faith. Our primary focus at all times should be God's approval of our discipleship rather than the opinions of others, even our own opinion of ourselves. If I were to judge myself 
Instead of listening to God's call in my life, I wouldn't be here right now. When Jeffrey and Terry met me, they, they, I don't know whether they knew that I couldn't read or not. I faked it pretty good. But there's no way that I thought I would ever stand before a group of people and read the living word of God. That's a miracle. Whether you realize it or not, it's an absolute miracle. And if I were to judge myself, I am not qualified to be standing here today. But it's God who's called me. And that's what the Apostle Paul was saying. I don't even bother to judge myself whether I'm qualified or unqualified, whether I've learned it, whether I haven't. I trust God to judge me. And that's who I go with. So that's what he was saying. I do not judge myself. I wouldn't be here right now. I don't have a degree in theology. I didn't go to seminary school. I'm sorry, seminary school. You know, I didn't do any of that stuff. I'm just standing here. I'm simply not qualified to be your pastor, but I refuse to judge myself. I rely on him who do judge me and how I respond to him, and that's God. I rely on the Holy Spirit to convict me and to convince me where I need to change, and I'm still changing today. Don't you dare ask my wife if there's any changes going on because she'll tell you, oh yeah. Yeah, there's changes. We continue to change and grow. Verse 4, I know of nothing against myself, the Apostle Paul said, yet I am justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Amen. Amen. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. That should make you smile, because that's who we want to hear. We want to hear that well and good, faithful servant. Verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. He was nice there. It was nice the way he said that. I, I, I made ourselves this example. We are just stewards. We're just simply God's tools. Don't look at us one greater than the other. And don't you be puffed up about anything. Verse 7 says, For who makes you different from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Oh, Christians, pay attention to what he's saying here. You know, the Apostle Paul is going to use this art of sarcasm. We should, if we were to look into the dictionary of the word sarcasm, there should be a picture of the Apostle Paul and these two scriptures that I'm about to read. He's going to slap them around sarcastically. To bring a point. Now, I will say I am by nature a very sarcastic person. And so many times I've had to apologize to so many of you. I didn't mean it like that. Because it's just my natural sarcasm. Somebody will say something and I'll answer something back without thinking. I should never talk before I think. 
You say you're a Christian and yet you boast like a man who has no understanding of the gospel, is what the Apostle Paul was saying to them. If we were to look up the word sarcasm, well, I already said that, we would see the Apostle Paul's face. Let's look at verse 6. Sorry, verse 8. Seven. seven. No, I already read seven. Right? Yeah, for who makes itself different from one another? And let's go to verse 8. Are You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign that we might reign with you. You guys are so mighty. You're so wonderful. You're so holy. You reign as kings. And I only wish I could reign alongside with you. What a great thing you guys have here. You're so full of yourselves. Verse 9. For I thank God who has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. You know what the apostle is talking you've, you've heard the hard times. We just went through the book of Acts. You've heard the times that the apostle Paul has suffered being stoned to death. And I believe the Lord raised him up from the dead. But there was no credit in that. It was never spoke of. They've suffered for the gospel's sakes. Verse 10 says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak and you are strong. You are distinguished and we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are both, we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. Verse 12, and we labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Verse 13, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as filth of the world, the off-scourging of all things until now. Verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you. But as my beloved children, I warn you. I warn you. This is what the Apostle Paul was trying to get through their thick heads. Hey, guys, you're really messing up the whole church. I warn you to stop doing these things. Verse 15 says, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ... Yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. Let me stop there and talk about that a little bit. You ever had, do you know, does anybody understand when I say my spiritual dad? Mike Sumstein was my spiritual dad. He mentored me. He led me back to Christ. I know that he is proud of me in heaven today. I know. That he is, because he told me he was proud of me before he died. That was my spiritual dad. We don't have many spiritual dads in our lives. We don't. And he said, but when you know who one is, I have many spiritual kids. There are many of my spiritual kids right here in this church. Tyler, wave your hand. That's my son, Tyler. My son, Jason. He's home not feeling well. But these are my babies in Christ. Maybe I didn't lead them to the Lord necessarily, but yeah, Tyler, we did. But you know what? 
They're my babies in Christ, will always be my babies in Christ. And I say to them, like the Apostles Paul said in verse 16, therefore I urge you, imitate me. It's so important. When we know who our spiritual dads are, we try to imitate them. I wanted to be just like Mike. I so want, that's why I went into motocross ministry, his motorcycle. He was dealing with the Harleys and the Hells Angels and all those guys. I was dealing with kids on dirt bikes. But I wanted to be just like Mike. And I got to tell you, when I started going over to Assemblies of God Church and I, I, Pastor Craig just took me in and mentored me. I watched every word. I watched every movement. I would go home and I would practice everything he said. Because I knew God had a call on my life. And I knew that. And you know, when, I, when we first got into the motocross ministry, I would take whatever he preached on Wednesday night. And that's what I would be preaching on Sunday morning out at the racetrack. I took his notes. I listened to the tape over and over again. I watched his movements. I watched how he moved his hands, how he spoke. And I would imitate him. Well, pastor, that doesn't sound very holy. Well, praise God, God used it. He used it. He was developing in me. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. He said in verse 17, For this reason I sent you Timothy to you. I sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. And he goes on to say in verse 18, Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. The, Paul, the Apostle Paul was being nice here when he calls them puffed up. What he was saying, and I know you guys are going to make you angry that I'm sending Timothy because you want me to come. I get that. I get that. But you're not going to get that right now. You get Timothy, my beloved son, and you honor him and respect him as if he were me. He knows. Then he goes on in verse 19, he says, But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. Verse 20 says, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Can I get an amen? amen. It's in his power. Verse 21, he says, What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod? Or in love and the spirit of gentleness? Well, Apostle, we want you to come in love. We want you to come in a spirit of gentleness. We hear these words that you're saying, but this is how we want you to come. Those who, were, who heard the words, who heard the words to accept, especially if you were a carnal Christian. When you come down hard on your own kids, I'm telling you, if you come down hard on them, they're not happy. Can I get an amen? You ever had to really come down hard on the kids? You take the bicycle away, the computer away, you, take, you, you lock them in the room. Whatever you had to do, they weren't happy. But you didn't throw them out either. Unless, of course, they were 40 years old. You might consider. Get a job, son. You gave them a chance to hear and to learn. Paul insists he is coming and the Lord will allow it. When he comes, he will once more come with the ability to demonstrate God's power through the Holy Spirit. God's kingdom is not all about talk. That's what Paul was declaring. It is much about power. It's easy for us to forget. 
So much of our practice of Christianity focuses on words being preached, read, and prayed. And all, and all that talk, though, is meaningless without the legitimate power of God behind it. Can I get an amen? amen. You remember what James said in 2.2? 2, 2, he said, for the body is without the spirit. For as the body without the spirit is dead, as faith without works is also dead. Paul does not want Corinthians, these people, to forget that he did not just introduce them to big ideas that can be captured and manipulated with words. He introduced them to the power of God available only through the faith of Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. That's what the Apostle Paul was trying to get through. But too often, you know... Too often, we as Christians, we, we tend to think, well, I'm a, I'm a Baptist. You know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I am proud to be a Baptist pastor. I am proud to be part of the CSBC. What a great group of individuals, great group of people that are helping and supporting this church. But I'm first a Christian. And so was my brother, Patrick McDonald, up at Word of Life. And so was my brother, Pastor Jack, over at the Cowboy Church. And so was Kim over at, at, you know, whatever the name of his church is, Harvest. I mean, we're brothers in Christ. And we need to know that and realize that and, and unify one another. If they're having an event, we need to go support that event. Well, we don't do everything that they do. I don't care. They love Jesus, and so don't you? That's what the gospel is about. This last week, I had the opportunity to talk to, to one of our, uh, I don't even know what his title was. He works for the California Southern Baptist Conference. I, they, they have titles. He's probably the director of something. Knucklehead pastors like me. And we've been trying to contact one another for a couple of weeks because I was interested in if, if the Southern Baptist was going to put together an internship program for, for summer missionaries, you know, to come. We could use some of these summer students that are in Bible college to come work at the church and help us get a summer vacation Bible school program. That's what I was calling. And, and he finally got a hold of me and he said, yes, we want to so badly get that program back going. But the problem is... There was a big lawsuit about 12 years ago. Somebody, something. He didn't even go into the details. I didn't care to know. And they canceled and quit the whole program, and we're trying to get it back going. And he said, so my advice to you is to, you know, talk to your local churches and see if somebody has a big youth group over there, borrow some of their teenagers to come over and help us over here with a summer program. And, thought, you know, that's not a bad idea. That's another way to begin to unify our churches together. And then he said to me something really strange, and I, I don't want to get too carried away with the conversation I had with him, but he says, well, I see that you're preaching in 1 Corinthians. And I said, yeah. How'd you know that? And he goes, oh, it's this great tool called Facebook. <laughs> he said, I see you, you, know, you post it every week, and I've been, I've been, I've been kind of watching you. And he says, how are you guys doing in, in 1 Corinthians? And I said, we're, we're doing pretty well. He goes, where have you been before that? I said, well, we started off last year, 2021, with the book of John. And then we went from the book of John and went right into the book of Acts. And we finished it. It happened to be 52 weeks worth of sermons. We finished it at the very last 
And so I've been praying and, and I said, I never took myself as a verse by verse teacher. I'm more of a topical kind of guy, you know, and get a topic and really roll with it and using the word of God, of course. And he says, do you not see what the Lord is doing? And I said, no. Are you speaking into my life? He said, yes, I believe I am. He said, the Lord is getting your church ready to grow. He said, I, I would take it that you're all very comfortable right where you're at. And I said, yeah, we are. We love one another. We like each other genuinely. Okay? And we like it kind of the way it is. He said, hang on to your seat. Because what you're preaching is influencing your church to grow. You have to be prepared. Are they ready to give up their seat? Hey, interesting question. Because it does make a difference. When the church begins to grow, in come a lot of problems, a lot of issues that we've never had to have. We haven't had to deal with it. Man, we're operating in such peace. If we develop and get up to 100 people, oh, look out. We're going to have issues. And we need this living word of God to get there, to be there, to be able to handle it. Don't you walk out on me, David. I'm not preaching that one. <laughs> Teasing you, brother. Teasing you. 